to me. The testimony he's going to bring this morning back in 1991, 92. Uh, I was a non-believer, uh, never stepped foot in the church, never went to church. It just wasn't a thing that, that my family did. Um, we were off playing soccer and sport and everything else. And I watched this testimony. And it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And I had an experience with God that night that has transformed my life. And um, it's a privilege and an honour to have Ian staying in our home over the weekend and just getting to know him better and, and just really just seeing his heart to, to share what he has and, and the experience he's had. And, and his heart is that everybody, everybody experiences their creator. This man, we're just talking, he's, he's preached, he's, he's shared with three people, four people, he's shared with thousands. And it's not about the numbers because he wants everybody to experience what God has shown him. So let's welcome this morning. It's an honour and a privilege to have you here. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. As we're worshipping that Worship the Lord. I just found to read out of the book of Revelations. It's Revelations chapter 4. And after these things I looked, behold the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. One sitting upon the throne and he was sitting upon the throne was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments with golden crowns upon their heads. And from the throne proceeded th- flashing of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, as it was, was a sea of glass crystal. And in the centre, and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf. The third creature had the face of a man, the fourth creature like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, full of eyes around and within. Day and night they could not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures given glory and honor and thanks to him who sits upon the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits upon the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For thou dost create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. Shall we just pray? Father, I thank you that even this morning that we have an open heaven, and that, Father, by our spirit we can see you in all your splendour and glory. And Father, we say holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We thank you for the radiance of your splendor and glory. Fill us and transform us that we might walk in the light of your presence. And Lord, along with the angels and the heavenly hosts, that we can bow before you and adore the King of glory. And who is the King of glory? Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God. And Father, we thank you that you are surrounded by light that radiates love, incredible peace, and healing with the depths of a man's heart. And we worship you. We adore the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's an incredible experience to stand in heaven. Nothing in your life will be the same as you see him in his glory. And I had amazing privilege 23 years ago in what is called a life after death experience where I was pronounced dead for 15 minutes and during that time I found myself caught up into the throne and the presence of Almighty God and it has totally changed me. How many people love to have that happen to you? <laughs> about three of you? Uh, I, I had not cried since I was a 14-year-old boy. But as a 26-year-old man, when I stood before God, I wept uncontrollably. I've never felt such love and acceptance. The absolute core of my being was touched, transformed, healed in the presence of God's love. And the greatest thing is love. How many like to be loved on a little bit? It's the most powerful thing. And because God is love, that love would minister to the most broken of hearts and the most um, hopeless case, where you see no hope, no future, um, God can take that, turn you completely around, and give you a purpose for living. Isn't that very nice to know in a very dark world? That there is hope. That there is a future. There is something that's very solid and secure. It's the rock of our salvation. The King of glory. And those who look to him shall be radiant. Which is so amazing that you can experience God now in this natural realm, you can actually experience the tangible presence of God who will just flood you and so fill you that you can hardly contain it. Because He is within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Some of you look like you need help. <laughs> That's why we come to church, isn't it? So I'd like to introduce my family to you. Um, my wife did not come down this weekend, we have three small children, so I try not to take them on uh, trips away too much. The first photograph is my, my wife, Jane, and a very beautiful woman. At the age of six, she gave her life to Jesus. She was brought up in a Christian family. She never turned away. She never got into anything that would be considered um, debauched or evil. And that is the keeping power of a holy God. So if you have an experience like that, when you've been introduced to God as a young person. Thank God for that. You thank God. And you thank your parents also for honouring God and providing the place of protection for you. Unfortunately for me, I was um, not a Christian as a young man and went a little bit off the rails. Just a little tab. Next photograph. We have three beautiful children. Um, 
This is Lisa, she is seven years of age. Michael, who is nearly five and loves fishing like his father. <laughs> and um, Sarah, who's three, and she's real cute, got all the curls. No more. <laughs> How many know three's enough? <laughs> I thought two is enough, actually. <laughs> so, next photograph. I was born in um, 1956, so old, man. <laughs> in Tauranga, in the Bay of Plenty. I was raised up um, in rural communities, used to milk cows. My sister and her husband had a dairy farm in Pataru of 360 dairy cows. Went to Lincoln University and became a consultant for the New Zealand Dairy Board. And my whole outlook was I hated cities. <laughs> I loved outdoor lives. And I was a very keen sportsman. I think I was involved in every sport you could think of. But my, my favourite sport was my surfing. My mother reckoned I was married to my surfboard. <laughs> and so I used to surf a particular surf break called Raglan. And there was a large left-hand reef break on it. And in the late 70s, I saw a movie called Endless Summer. Anyone ever see that movie? It was in, along with the Cheech and Chong movies and the other ones that were going <laughs> around the time. So I saw this particular movie. It showed some California surfers surfing around the world. And they'd actually surfed at my break. I didn't know it. And I thought, well, that's amazing. Perhaps I should do that. Perhaps I should uh, see the world before some idiot presses a button and nukes it. And um, so I took my surfboard, my best friend Tony McCartney, <laughs> and we took off. And from 1980 to 1982, we did the hippie trail and the surfing trek through Southeast Asia, um, down into Africa. And in 1982, after two years of traveling and surfing, I ended up in a very small island called Mauritius. This particular island is very pretty. It is a honeymoon island for most South African people. It has a very um, beautiful coral reef. Next photograph. It had a left-hand reef break. Have we got any surfers here? We've got a couple. <laughs> Mostly you surf the internet, don't you? So, I was, I was in the surfing tropical paradise, 100-foot um, visibility, 32 degrees Celsius most days, a bit like Wellington, isn't it? And next photograph. I was surfing there and living with the local Rastafarians. This is my friend Simon. He said, don't worry, man, be happy. <laughs> Smoke more hashish. <laughs> I said, who, taught, who told you that? He said, Bob Marley. <laughs> I said, what else did Bob Marley tell you? He said, we are the lost tribe of Israel. I said, that's different. <laughs> I said, I can see the road maps in your eyes, mate. You couldn't find your way home. <laughs> <laughs> he was lost as I am, Jack. Well, in those years, I was very open-minded. I was a free thinker. I was an atheist. I was kind of an evolutionist. I didn't really know what it was. I was just kind of cruising. But I checked out everything that was going on. I mean, people were into levitating off the ground, hanging from meat hooks, putting skewers through their mouth, going to temples, went to Borobudu, Katragama, Varanasi. Went to all these different places looking for truth and answers. And I was just checking everyone out and seeing what they're up to. So I liked the Rastafarians. So kind of more laid back, you know, and um, so I'm living with them, diving with them, fishing with them. The next photograph, I would be diving um, during the day and also at night. The fishermen taught me to dive at night, so we'd dive for crayfish and crab at night. The amazing thing about crayfish is that they're nocturnal scavengers, and late at night they come out. If you've ever done any spotlighting for possums or rabbits off the back of the Land Rover or the tractor, you'll find that they come out, don't they? Anyone done any hunting? Obviously not in 
we're all New Zealand here, are we? <laughs> and um, out they'd come. And so at night, the same thing with the diving torches. Here's these huge crayfish right out on the reef. Amazing, mate. Blind, blind them with your torchlight, blinded by the light. That was a good song in those years. Pick these things up, lift them into the boat. The fish were sound asleep, so you could just spare the fish and um, throw them into boats. So that's, that's how the men lived. One particular night, I was diving with my friends in the next photograph, and we, we dived in a place called Black River, Rivier Noir. As we dived into this particular um, part of the island of Mauritius, I swam into a whole bunch of jellyfish. I had, unfortunately, a short sleeve vest on. The water was warm for me at night, so I didn't have a full-length steamer. The other divers had full-length steamers on, hoods, booties. I had exposed arm and my neck was exposed. I swam into these jellyfish and the first one that hit me felt like thousands of volts of electricity. I was literally bodily shaken in the water. It would be like standing on wet concrete with your gumboots off uh, with bare feet in, in the um, dairy unit and grab and hold electrical mains unit. Give you any kind of idea? So I'd had a lot of shocks on the farm. This was like excruciating pain. I looked, couldn't see any scar or any blood or anything, wondering what on earth. Before I could get out of the water, I'd been hit four times. I had to protect my face from being hit. Little did I realise that this jellyfish is in Australia called a box jellyfish or a sea wasp. If you've ever been up on the Keppel Coast, up around um, Rockhampton, going up around northern Queensland, you'll find that the, they have nets there protecting people from being killed by the box jelly or the marine stinger. And so I got hit by four of them. My arms swelled up like a balloon and where the tentacles had hit, it had caused my skin to blister as if I'd been burnt underwater. As I stood up on the reef, on, uh, two foot covering the, the reef in safety, I saw my arm, I could feel the poison constricting my breathing and, and excruciating pain as hit my lymph gland under my armpit. As I'm standing there, Simone comes out of the water, walks towards me with his flippers backwards. He went, kiss a firman. What happens, Ian? I shine my torchlight onto my arm and in French he goes, on visible, on I said, oui. He said, pardon, on visible, fini for you. You understand any French? I had to learn it, unfortunately. My sister did Latin and German remember all those years. So now I'm standing here looking at my arm. He's just told me that one of these will kill me. He said, Ian, how come you not know? I said, I'm kill you, brother. I said, I not know, Simone. You think white men know everything? I not know this one. He said, how many are? Tuck. I went, cut. Cut on visa. Impossible. Impossible. Allez, allez. Vitamin. Touch my hospital. Allez. You understand any of that? You got hospital, didn't you? So, he helps me back into the water. We swim up to the fishing boat. The young boy whose job was to keep the boat off the reef with a pole grabs my left arm and begins to drag me into the boat to safety. The other two divers are trying to barrel roll me into it. As we're doing that, my right arm, which is partly paralysed, gets hit with the fifth one. What on earth have you done to deserve this kind of punishment or payback, you idiot? What have you done wrong in your life? Well, as I asked the question, I had a flood of memories. I thought I did that. Shoot, forgot about one. How many have done things wrong in their life? <laughs> Some of you have a conscience left, obviously. <laughs> How many know your conscience gets a little bit burnt out as the years go by, you know what I mean? And you feel a lot more comfortable when other people do the things that you do, then you feel safe, don't you? Well, anyhow, I hung around the people that I hung around with and we had fairly burnt out consciences, but we had a little bit left. And how many know New Year's resolutions don't change anything? 
That's about five seconds, mate. And so here I am, I'm, I'm dying. It didn't really help me to see my sins that I'd done wrong flash before me. As the boat is dragged over the reef into the lagoon, I said to Simon, Simon, come with me. He said, Ian, no motor. Uh, we have diving gear. It's too heavy for us. Go, man. Allez, allez. As he pulled away from the reef, I said, my arm, what can I do for my arm? He said, urinate, pee on your own arm. I thought, you what? He said, pee on your arm. Now, how many know that could be a bush medicine? In Australia, they pour vinegar. I was a lifeguard. I instructed in scuba. I was like a fish. I understood every Jacques Cousteau program I've ever seen on TV. So here I am. I urinate on my arm and, uh, and I change them my, my sweats. By the time I hit the shore, the paralysis has numbed the right-hand side of my body. I feel excruciating pain as the poison hits my kidneys. I try and stand and I collapse into the bottom of the boat. As I do that, the young, the young boy who's taking me does a supernatural feat of strength, somehow carries me and drags me out of the boat, up the sandy beach, through the palm coconut trees, up towards the main road. As he gets me there, he then panics. In French, he goes, Mon frère, mon frère, sur la plage. I said, No, ambulance, gendarme, realizing that he wanted to go back out to the other divers. I knew the other divers were safe because they had full wetsuits on. I needed to get to a hospital. The young boy panicked, races down the beach, jumps in the fishing boat and begins to pole out through the lagoon. I thought, oh, great. So I sit down on the side of this road and feel very, very tired. I begin to lie down. As I begin to lie down, I begin to close my eyes, feeling very sleepy, not realising that I'm on the edge of a coma. This jellyfish can often kill within 10 or 15 minutes. Most people get lulled into a false sense of security, close their eyes, dead. So I am right on the edge of death, not realising it because it was so quick. And I hear this audible voice of a man to my right speak to me. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you shall never awake again. I thought, you what? As I looked towards the voice that I'd heard, I was amazed there was no one there. I turned around wondering where he got to. I thought, where's the man gone? I thought, that voice just said, if you close your eyes, you shall never awake again. I thought, what are you doing, you idiot? You can't go to sleep here. This isn't sleep. This is a coma. Certain death. You're a lifeguard. What on earth are you doing? How many talk to yourself? <laughs> now, when you talk to an invisible voice, it's a little bit spooky. You know, it's a bit strange, right? But I thought that voice is true. You cannot sleep here. You have got to get anti serum, you idiot. You know what I mean? Now, I believe I would have died at that precise moment had I not heard the voice. Not knowing what it was, I stood up, because just to set your minds at rest, it wasn't accustomed to hearing voices talking to me. <laughs> so, hobbled down the road, found three Indian taxi drivers. They saw me staggering towards them, thought I was drunk. And, and, and I said, well, I'm not drunk. I showed them my arm and said, I need to get to a hospital. I've been stung by a very deadly jellyfish. Can you help me? They said, well, uh, how much money have you got? How many have been in a third world country that all they can see is dollar signs when you walk past them? You know what I mean? So I said, look, mate, I don't care for the money, I'm dying. Uh, 50 bucks, 100 US, I could have brought the car. You know what I mean? He looked at me and said, I take you, white man. Uh, let me see your money. Well, how many know you don't pack 100 bucks or 50 bucks in your back pocket night dive? He said, mate, I don't have any money on me. As I said that, all three of them walked away, but I said, I'll get it to you. I have the money, I'm dying. As I continued to walk, they let up a cigarette and thought it was a hell of a joke. What am I going to do now? Not knowing what to say, I heard this clear voice speak to me again. I realised they weren't hearing it because they didn't stop. This voice said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? I thought, beg for your life? That's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I'm sure these Indians haven't seen a white man beg in this part of the world. I've got nothing to lose. My left leg's nearly stuffed anyhow. So I fell down in front of them, lifted my right hand up, which was paralysed, 
bowed my head and began pleading for my life. And as I did, two of them walked away, but the third young man was shaken, seeing a European on his hands and knees begging. And trust me, when you're dying, you're very sincere. So as I'm pleading for my life, this man walks over, helps me to my feet and puts me into his taxi. As we're racing towards the hospital, he asks me what hotel room I stay in because then he knows how he can collect his money if I live. You meet people like that? I'm going to make a buck off you as you dime, right? So I said, look, I don't stay in a hotel. I'm a traveller. I'm a surfer. He said, where do you stay? I said, Tamarin Bay in a bungalow. He said, well, I take you to the hotel. I said, I don't stay there. I live in a small bungalow. He said, well, I'm not taking you any further. You lie to me, huh? I take you to the, hospital, to the hotel. He pulls into the hotel, stops in the car park, and here is a one-star, or they call it three-star, Chinese hotel on the beachfront. He stops, tells me to get out. I can't get out because the poison has moved into my left leg. He opens the passenger door, takes my safety belt off, and as I'm pleading for my life, he pushes me straight out of the cab. Now, normally, I would have grabbed him. How many would try to grab that boy? But my right arm was gone, so I was actually numb and couldn't grab him. I just flew straight out the door. As I hit the deck, I saw that my ankles were caught in the door sill. He had the audacity to look me in the eyes, pick my feet up and biff them on the ground and drive off. I thought, what kind of sick human being? Would do that? I thought, well, I'm not afraid to die. If your number's up, do yourself a favour. Die here. I've seen enough of humanity. Who'd want to live in this sick world? As I lay there dying, for some bizarre reason, I remember my grandfather. He was a regimental sergeant major, fought in Gallipoli, survived fought in the Somme and Al-Alamein and Second World War and he had gone through two world wars as an RSM and my family were either warrant officers or farmers. How many know that's an interesting mix? <laughs> so I'm lying here half dead, or well, almost dead, and I'm thinking of granddad going through two world wars, three heart attacks and here he is, his grandson, giving up over five miserable jellyfish things. But you what's the sign? What the flipping heck? So I grabbed clumps of grass and amongst the asphalt. I thought I might as well die trying. I began to pull myself along the ground. As I'm doing that, the next photograph, I looked up to see a Creole friend standing over me with a torchlight. He said, Kiss the young. What happened to you, brother? I never see you like this. What you do tonight? <laughs> you ever grovel around the car park of a hotel on a Friday night? <laughs> It turns out that my friend Danielle was security guard in the hotel. He'd seen the taxi, walked out, thinking a tourist may have come in late from the Mauritius airport, and found his best friend. I showed him my arm. He sees it, he goes, Oh, I said, Where you, Danielle? He said, Pabo, Ian, Stephanie for you. He had a gift of encouragement, you see. Telling me I was dead meat. Carried me in his arms into the hotel. He puts me in a chair right next to the Chinese owners who are sitting by the swimming pool playing mahjong. It's very surreal. Everything's slowing down. Ever been in a car accident where everything slows down? So I'm going, it's a weird feeling. I feel like I'm there, but I'm starting to almost come out. Does that make sense? The, the Chinese turned around and said, oh, you're drunk, white man. I was getting sick of telling people I'm not drunk. I said, I'm not drunk. I've been stung by a very bad, terrible jellyfish, obisabla. I need anti-serum. I am nearly dead. Can you please take me to Catrabon Hospital? 
As I see my marks on my arm, the Chinese man thinks he's figured out what's happened. He stands to his feet and says, Oh, you stupid white man. Why, 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 you, why you put needle in arm? Oh, cannot help you, love. What you do that for? All men take opium with pipe, huh? Why, 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 why you do that? You stupid white boy. I thought, thank you very much, doctor. I won't say it. And sat down, returned to his mind, John Graham. I'm sitting here dying, thinking, that's not heroin, this is a jellyfish, you fool. And not knowing what to do next, my right hand began to shake. Within seconds, my entire body goes into contortions. My teeth smash into each other. I go into what we can only describe as the death rattles. As I'm shaking to bits, these men run over and try and hold me down. Out of control, I throw them off. I stop shaking and feel an icy cold death go right through my bone marrow. And the tips of my feet I feel necrosis. I'm dying. Please help me. I'm freezing. One man runs into the hotel, gets a blanket, wraps it around me. Another of the Chinese men runs back with a glass of milk, tries to pour it down my throat. I said, don't need milk. It's not in my stomach, it's in my blood. I turn to the owner next to me. In the car park is one vehicle. I said, your car, could you please take me in your car to Katrabon Hospital or I'll die. Please help me. The Chinese man looked at his car. He looked at me. He put his hand upon my shoulder. He said, my car? Oh, no, no, no. Can I take my car? Oh, sorry, uh, white man. Why are you so worried? Uh, wait for ambulance for you. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> Mr. Play, loose Ford. How many feel like whacking someone? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm fairly laid back, but sometimes you snap. You ever got this I thought, oh, I'll hit this guy. As I tried to hit him, my right hand wouldn't move. I thought, oh, great, it's paralyzed. Can't even hit this turkey. Tried my left hand. I thought, well, I'm not a southpaw like my dad, but I could grab his shirt. I could whack him into my forehead. I could get my head butt. <laughs> so as I'm just, if you surf for six or seven hours a day, how many know you get fairly strong in the upper body? It's until you get old and it drops into your gut, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was about to nail this guy and I hear this clear voice say, son, if you hit this man, the toxin is so close to your heart, the adrenaline rush will kill you. I said, shoot, that's true. Man. I thought, but I'd love to have his teeth pop out and, my, and walk around gummy the rest of his life. You know what I mean? As I'm listening to this voice, I thought, well, look, I could control my anger, look away and get him later. Plan B. I thought, if I survive this history, Jack... As I'm looking away, you know, I'm in control of my anger, I see the headlights of an ambulance come flying to the car park. Unbeknown to me, my friend Danielle is from the hospital. As they get me into the ambulance, we begin racing towards Catrevon, the Victoria Hospital, an old British Army hospital. As we're racing up the mountainside towards it, I start to see what appears to be a snowy-headed boy, like sections of my own life, racing in front of me. I thought, what? I thought, I've heard about this. People comment on this phenomena just before they die. They see their life flash before them. Am I going to die? As I lay there, I thought, well, I seem very close. I can hardly hear my heart beating. I've gone through the death rattles. I thought, well, if I don't make it, is there life after death or is there nothing? I thought, well, I'm an atheist. I believe that when you die, the worms get you. There's nothing, cessation of life. I thought, but I have been wrong before. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm a gambling atheist. Any gambling atheist with us this morning? <laughs> Become, people become very saintly when they come into a church meeting. They can be absolute degenerates and suddenly become... So I'm lying here dying and I'm thinking, well, as a gambler, I'm playing like Russian roulette. You know what I mean? 
could I be wrong? I've backed the wrong horse before. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, okay, what's out there? People have told me different ideas. Every man and his dog thinks their God's the right one. How many have heard all that? You know? How many get sick of being lied to? And when you die, it'd be nice to know the truth, wouldn't it? So I'm lying there thinking, I don't know. I've heard many people's opinions, but I have no conception of what could happen now. But I'm about to find out. As I'm lying there, unbeknown to me on the other side of the world, my mother has just seen my face materialise in front of her. She's in Glenview in Hamilton. It's the middle of the day. As she sees my face, she hears this audible voice speak to her. Your eldest son, Ian, is nearly dead. Pray for him now. My mother had lost her own mum as a young girl and her dad. And she had got on her knees as a young woman in her bedroom and said, God, if you're real, you must reveal yourself to me. I've lost everyone. My mother, as a young woman, had Jesus appear in front of her, speak to her, and she gave her heart to him in a sovereign move and heard the voice of God at that point. My mum then tried to bring all her children to church. Every single one of them rejected it and it walked away. I was a christened, confirmed Anglican sinner. I'd had water sprinkled upon me as a baby. I had the certificate to prove it. At the age of 14, I was confirmed. But I had found no presence of God, never met him, never heard him. And so in my, uh, in my sense of not being wanting to be a hypocrite, I chose not to ever go back. My mother was wise enough to let her children walk away and not force religion or her belief upon us. But she said, son, I will pray for you every day. I said, mother, science and evolution teaches us that there is no God. She said, son, I didn't go to university like you, but I have met him, and I am sorry, but I know him. You may be very smart, young man, but there's one thing you will learn. There is a living God. Well, I'm lying here dying. For the next photograph... Right in front of me appears mum, on her knees, in a bedroom, in New Zealand, praying. I've seen her do that as a small boy. As I'm looking at her, she looks directly into my eyes and says, Son, no matter how far from God you may be, no matter how far from God you may be, son, if you but call out to God from your heart, God will hear you, and Almighty God will forgive you, Ian. Call out to God. It's not too late. I thought it must be too late. I've cursed him, I've denied him. I thought I'd be a hypocrite asking God to forgive me in some kind of a deathbed prayer when I have completely rejected him. As I lay there and I thought, and if there is a God, Mother, which one? There are so many to choose from. As I lay there, my mother continued to plead with me in this clear vision that I should call out. I thought, well, if you're a real God, show your face and I'll pray. As I lay there, no face appeared, only my mother. I thought, well, my mother is not God. How many know your mother isn't God? <laughs> Sometimes they act low, but I'm lying there and I'm thinking, well, mum's only ever prayed to Jesus. Could mother be right? I mean, how many know it's very troublesome when your mother's right? <laughs> so I'm lying there, I'm thinking, well, does my mother's life reflect God? If there is a God, do I see peace and love and compassion, purity, holiness? Do I see the attributes of what should be God? reflected through this particular woman's life. 
<laughs> yes, of all the people I've met on this sick planet, this dear woman is too good for it. She should not be here. It doesn't make sense how she's kept her heart soft in the midst of her evil world. Because I hadn't. I'd got embittered and hardened. As I lay there, I thought, well, mothers pray to the Christian God. I thought, perhaps there is one. I don't know. I thought, well, there's no harm in at least trying to pray. I thought, what would be a Christian prayer? I thought, well, as a child, my mother taught me the Lord's Prayer. I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. As a gambler, cover your bets. So I tried to pray the only prayer that I uh, learned as a child. As I tried to pray it, I could get nothing. My mind went completely blank. My mother said, son, do not pray to God from your head. You call out to God from your heart. I mean, there's a difference (laughs) from a parrot repetitious prayer to one coming from your heart. So as I lay there, I said, well, God, I can't remember this prayer. I I don't know if there's anything good in my heart. I feel like my heart's like stone. But if you can hear me, please help me to pray. As I said that, words began to materialize in the ambulance. Forgive us our trespasses and sins. I thought, sins? Where on earth would you start? I've committed so many sins. I lay there and said, God, I don't know if it's possible to forgive a man like me. I have no time to list my sins because there are so many. How many of you have difficulty listing their sins? You know what I mean? I said, but I am nearly dead. If you can somehow forgive a, a man of all his sins, I don't know how that's possible, but please forgive me all of my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done. I've committed so many sins. As I said that, the words disappeared. Fresh words came up. Forgive those who have trespassed and sinned against you. I thought, well, that's easy. I'm not a vindictive person by nature. I can forgive anyone. You know what I mean? I'm not that revengeful. And I lay there and I said, well, God, I forgive anyone. No matter what they've done to me, those who have sinned against me, I forgive them. As I made this bold statement, the face of the Indian taxi driver appeared in front of me. I said, what's he doing here? The voice said, will you forgive this man for pushing out of his taxi tonight and leaving you for dead in front of the hotel? I said, you must be joking. How many of you have ever had your veins stick out of your neck? You know what I mean? It felt like headbang. Well, I'm, if I could have headbutted him, I would have, but I realised it was a vision of a man. As I'm lying there, before I could recall from that one, up came the Chinese hotel owner. I thought, what's he doing here? The voice said, will you forgive this man for not taking his car tonight and leaving you to die in front of the hotel? In the, in the hotel? I thought, well, I actually had other plans for his life. <laughs> Forgiveness was not the top of the list. <laughs> I was going to lay my hands upon him. My, my old Anglican vicar, God bless you, my top. So I'm lying here, I've got two men's faces in front of me, I've got a voice that's attached to the Lord's Prayer asking me if I'll forgive these men. How many have got a few people on your hit list? Well, I realised they were the latest on the top of the iceberg. You know what I mean? I had a fair chunk of them. So I'm lying there thinking, man, I've prayed this prayer as a child but never heard such an audible voice. Is that God? That's certainly not my thought. Am I talking to a mighty God? I mean, you know, that would shake you to the rotten core. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking, well, if that's God, I've got a choice to either curse these guys and die, you know what I mean, or I forgive them. See, I didn't understand that the, the Lord's Prayer, at the end of it, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins against him. That his forgiveness towards you is conditional upon you forgiving others. He even taught a parable about a man who owed a king much money. The king forgave him and then he went and beat his neighbour for a few cents. So I'm lying here dying and I'm thinking, forgive them, why should I? 
I couldn't. But as I lay there, I thought, but if God could forgive me, I should be able to. You know what I mean? If he could forgive me of all my sins, imagine if God could forgive you of all your sins. Can anyone grab that? Everything in your heart cleansed, and you could start afresh. Do you think you could forgive your neighbor, your family member? I said, well, God, I will forgive them. I'll never touch them. Their faces disappeared. Fresh words appeared. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I saw these words, thy will, I thought that's God's will be done on earth. Well, it's been my will. I'm independent, self-sufficient, proud of it. Do you remember the guy that said, I did it my way? I wonder where he's dancing tonight. Well, I lay there and I thought to myself, well, I've done it my way. Look what's happened to me. I'm actually going to have to admit, as a man, I am wrong. How many know that's very hard for men to do, woman? They're usually misinformed, they didn't hear you. So I'm selective hearing. So I'm lying here dying, thinking, oh God, I've never followed you. I've never surrendered myself to you. I've never given my heart over to you. I thought, but I need an absolute miracle. I don't know what you're doing in heaven, but I can guarantee you my life does not line up with anything like that on earth. It had kind of cramped my lifestyle to that point. So I'm lying here thinking, well, I don't know your will, I don't know who you are, but I surrender my life over to you. As I did that, the entire Lord's Prayer came before me and for the first time in my life understood what? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As I prayed this prayer, in depth of my heart, I just broke into tears. I'm lying here dying. Suddenly the peace of God envelops me. Radiant presence of God fills my heart. I know deep in my spirit that I have just made peace with my maker. That this prayer has actually been heard by God and I sense the most overwhelming touch of God. It's like heaven touches down into earth. How many know that when you've given your life to the Lord, it happens? It's the most amazing experience. You do not have to be in an ambulance dying to get saved. But I had just turned my life over to God. As I'm lying there, the ambulance stopped. They raced me into the hospital the nurse tried to take my blood pressure, couldn't find a pulse. Tried another machine, still couldn't find a pulse. Realised that I was very close to death. Another doctor saw my blood pressure results, ran, said this is dextrose for dehydration, this is antiserum for the poison. I felt like a pincushion as they shoved needles into me. One nurse began to smash my hand like this. I thought, what are they doing? They shoved this needle in. My vein went up like a bubble. I could see the needle going from side to side. I thought, what on earth is happening? The doctor nodded a second one, third one, went up like a bubble. They began to massage it. It began to roll off their thumb and forefinger. It wasn't going anywhere. I thought it's not going past my vows. It's, it's, my veins have collapsed. How many know it doesn't pay to be an intellectual and know how you die? <laughs> I was studying veterinary science. I had a little bit of a brain left. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm nearly dead. I began to feel the whole person beginning to float out. Third party, couldn't speak, could see, hear. Everything they were saying. So you must be very careful if you find someone in a critical ward on a life support system. They can hear every single word you utter. They understand and comprehend with their spirit what you are saying. So if you've got nothing good to say about them, please do not say anything. You're better off to shut up. Because they don't need you in there talking. They need you in there praying for them. You can lead people to the Lord in those A&Es where they're smashed beyond recognition and they're on a life support system. They can hear you and respond to God. So I'm, I'm lying here dying. I can hardly keep my eyes open. The doctors are trying to encourage me to fight the poison, keep my eyes open. 
I remember distinctly, I can't do it. I must rest. I thought if I rest for five minutes, I can find some new strength. I shut my eyes. I sighed out uh, some relief, just breathed out. And as I did that, I could feel myself break free from my physical body. Instantly, my machines monitoring my heart flatlined. I was heart dead. The brain waves flatlined, brain dead. Trouble was, I was still alive. How many know it's a bit, a bit weird, you know what I mean? Physical bodies just cease living, but you are alive. You can hear, see, smell, taste. You can touch everything, but you are no longer in a physical form. I found myself out of my body in complete darkness. I thought, what's happened? Did I just die? Or did the doctors have a power cut and the lights have gone out? I thought, well, that's most likely. They're a third world country. I thought, well, don't panic. Let your pupils, they may have dilated. They need to adjust to the dark. Couldn't see a light, anything. So I thought, well, let me find a light switch. Have you ever been in a friend's place and need to go to the toilet? You ever? <laughs> so I'm groping out here, looking for a wall. Couldn't find one. I thought, well, perhaps they've moved me. How long have I been asleep for? Where's my hospital bed? Oh, great. Now you've lost your bed, you idiot. How'd you do that? As I'm groping around trying to touch something, I thought it was so dark in here you can't see your hand in front of your face. So I brought my right hand up to my face should be and it passed straight through. I thought, that's impossible. You can't miss your head. Two hands. Both hands went straight through a transparent head as if there was nothing there. Yet I had the sensation and knowledge that it was there. Does that seem a bit weird? So I went for my chest. Both hands went straight through it. I went for my hands. Both. How many have heard when they do funerals, ash to ash, dust to dust, when a man dies, his spirit leaves his body? How many realize that you're a spiritual being in a clay vessel? Three of you. So I'm standing there and I'm out of my body and I'm thinking, where, where am I? What's happened? What is this place? I became acutely aware that the darkness wasn't just physical, but it had a cold, evil presence. The entire atmosphere was saturated with a demonic, supernatural power, which was absolutely terrifying. As I'm standing there, I feel movement coming towards me as if invisible eyes have locked onto me and have actually walked into me. I didn't realise that they could hear my thought of speech. And here I am going, there's the hospital bed, you know what I mean? Please turn the lights out. Well, I have someone walk over to me and said, Shut up! I went, Shut up? I said, Nothing! Embraced myself for an impact. I was taught as a young man, you stand your ground, you know, don't back off. And I'm standing here going, Well, I didn't say anything. Another man to my left said, You deserve to be here. I said, Deserve to be where? Where am I? Another man in front of me, You're in hell! Now shut up! I thought, well, I don't believe in hell. How many don't believe in hell? Oh, all of you, great. Well, I'm standing here, I'm thinking, well, I don't believe in flipping hell, you know what I mean? It's just something that people did to scare them into religion. And all religions are based in fear. If you can terrify someone enough, I'm sure they'll believe in your God. It's a crutch for weak people who can't handle reality. And you've done all those wonderful things. Or if it gets too heavy, you say, well, it's okay for you, you know what I mean? Well, if you need that in your life, but I don't need that. You ever heard that trip too? Condescending. Pat, pat, pat on the head. Well, here I am, mate. I'm surrounded by three men telling me to zip your lip. You deserve to be here and you're in the pit. I thought, this can't be hell. Hell's supposed to be a party place. <laughs> How many know it's very difficult to grab a beer in hell when you've got no face? <laughs> Pretty hard to dance the night away, isn't it, with you? So I'm standing here, I'm thinking, 
I thought it was supposed to be little boys with horns coming out of their heads, pitchforks, rotting corpses, you know what I mean? Fire, brimstone. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I mean, it was very difficult when to be standing in a place when your physical body is back in a morgue or in a hospital or in a head-on collision. This is not a physical place. Your human anatomy and none of your human parts make it into this place. This is a spiritual place, not a physical dimension. So I'm getting the download. I could actually be standing in a realm where I could be held here in this darkness. Realize that the, he, the Greek word for Hades, which we translate into the English word hell, is deep darkness. It's a Greek god of darkness. No fire, no light, darkness. We translate that word into English, hell. So I'm staying here. I'm thinking, I could be here five minutes to 5,000 years. You can't tell time. You can't get tired. You can't, you can't fulfill any of the desires or lusts of your heart. I thought you could be here in the same predicament as me, these other men, and they're telling you to shut up because what else have you got to talk about down here? I've been sent to hell. I thought, well, God has every reason to send me to hell. But didn't I pray in that ambulance? You know what I mean? Something happened there. Why am I here? You ever read Psalm 23? It's called, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Hebrew translation is deep darkness. I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. As I'm standing here, God's revealing to me that he's taking me to show me where I should have gone. And had I not prayed in that ambulance and given my life to him, he'd have left me in outer darkness until the day of judgment. Do you think that would have put the wind up you? I'm surrounded by evil, but this evil can't touch me because greater is he within me than any demon host in hell. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And when you make the Lord your shepherd of your soul, guess what? He will lead you through. I'm standing wondering why these presence of evil cannot touch me. The intent of their spirit is for harm, but they're unable to actually assail me. Next minute, radiant light pierces through this darkness, touches me. My entire person is enveloped in pure white light. I feel this incredible power and energy flow through the depth of my being and I sense weightlessness envelop my spirit and I find myself beginning to be translated out of the darkness caught up into this radiant white light. As I'm being drawn up, I can see that I'm being drawn towards a circular shaped opening or a passageway or a tunnel. As I'm, as I'm going up, have you ever seen sunlight come through a window and dust go up in it? I have the same sensation. I look over my shoulder to wonder if this darkness is real and to my horror, I can see the darkness dissipating beneath me. I thought, don't look back. Perhaps you'll fall out of the light. Can you ever remember someone in the Old Testament that looked back? And God was delivering them. I said, don't look back. Don't look back. I moved up. I could see the enormity of this darkness. There was a kingdom of darkness which seemed to have a finite end. There was a wall. I moved into the circular opening. There was a tunnel, passageway between darkness and light. As I looked to the extremity of the tunnel, I could see the source. I was somehow at the speed of light, being drawn towards the source of light. As I came closer towards it, Waves of intense white light broke off in thicker intensity and came up as if to greet me. The first wave of light that passed into me, pure comfort and warmth. My entire person was bathed in this liquid light that gave off a living emotion. I could feel comfort touch me. I thought, this is like a light that's alive. It has the intensity of laser light 
but it's actually giving off an emotion. What is that? I move further down. Another wave of radiance moved through me. Peace enveloped me from the tip of my head to the base of my feet. Incredible peace filled me. How many have ever looked for peace of mind or inner peace or any kind of peace, mate? I've got three kids. Now, peace went through me. Well, this peace in 23 years hasn't left me because this peace is not from this world. It comes from the Prince of Peace. When you give your heart to him, the Prince of Peace comes in and peace will remain in you. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As I moved through this peace, I thought in the darkness I was unable to see my hands in front of my face. In fact, it passed straight through. I wonder if in this radiant white light I can see my form. I quickly turned my head in response to that thought and saw my hands and arms transparent, full of light. I moved it. It was mine. It's amazing. I'm out of my body, but it has the outline and form of a human being, but it's like you're a spiritual being of light. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall become sons and daughters of light. (laughs) Mortality will take on immortality. The natural man will be sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. That there is resurrection power to bring a human spirit out of death into life. So I'm standing in this light, moving closer. Another wave of radiance comes up. Absolute joy. Total, complete joy. As this joy goes through me, I exit the tunnel and see the enormity of the glory of God. I stand in wonderment, in absolute awe at the majesty and the power and the radiance of Almighty God. As I'm standing there, the light seems to go out Scriptures say that the light that surrounds the Lord is so bright that you will not need the light of the sun. That he is glorified. As I'm standing there, I'm thinking, that's amazing. Look at the intensity of that light. And as I thought, is there someone actually in that? It was so bright. As I'm questioning in my heart, he spoke to me, he said, Ian, from the middle of the light, do you wish to return? He knew my name. He called me by name and asked me if I wanted to go back. I thought, well, I don't know where I am. If I'm actually dead, out of my body, I wish to return. He said, Ian, if you wish to return, you must see in a new light. I thought, light, see the light. Are you the true light? As I asked the question of him, he spoke to me. He said, Ian, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1.5 As he spoke these words from the center of the radiance, I watched these words appear like I'd seen in the ambulance. I could read what he was speaking. I thought, God is light. Eastern mysticism had gone yin and yang. You ever seen the circle of life, light and darkness? In the midst of the darkness, there's light. In the midst of the light, there's darkness. How many know that's impossible? In the midst of light, you cannot have darkness because light is always more powerful. Light and darkness are not equal and opposite. Light is always more powerful than dark. Doesn't that blow some of your brains just there? Well, I'm standing here, I'm going, well, this is not just some innate power in the cosmos. There's a person in there who knows my name and there's no shadow, no evil, no darkness. That means in the heart and character and person of God, there's nothing demonic or evil. And I've just come from a dominion of darkness and this light has penetrated into the pits of it and drawn me out. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Well, I'm staying here and, and, and I'm thinking, is that God? I thought, well, he knows my name. He knows my thought before I even speak. I thought, then, if he knows that, then he must see everything in my life. I used to have masks and masquerades. You ever done that? Put up fronts? I just thought, I knew nothing 
nothing was, inf- I, could, I could bring nothing up to hide who I really was. I thought, well, I don't belong here. I've done so many things wrong. Something has happened. I've made a mistake. I've brought the wrong person. I'm not good. I've got to go back. I should go back into hell where I belong before someone finds out I've been the wrong man up. I begin to move back. As I do towards the darkness, the radiant light comes off the presence of God's glory. As it does, pure, unconditional love floods me. I thought, love? Why on earth would God love me? God's love me. More love. I said, God, don't you know I have cursed you? How many have ever broken one of the Ten Commandments and taken the Lord's name in vain? You ever kind of stuffed that one up? I thought, but I've, I've slept around. I won't ask how many have done that. Um, I've taken drugs. <laughs> More love kept coming. Light, wave after wave of pure light and, ex- and love and acceptance began to flood into me. I thought, well, I've got some skeletons in the closet. I've got some stuff that's so sick I can hardly confront it. I said, well, God, I've committed this sin. I'm not going to tell you because you've got your own things to sort out. And I told God the worst sin I ever committed. And through peer group pressure, and the fear of man, I had done something that I knew was wrong. <laughs> Gutted me. But I couldn't run away from the effect. How many love to rewind time and have a chance to do things over again? Well, it was too late. Oh, I've done it. I said, I've done this. As I stood there, incredible love and acceptance flooded me. God showed me that not one of my sins was standing before him. All of them had been washed away. I stood before him as white as snow. And that when I prayed in the ambulance and asked him to forgive me of all my sins, he had forgiven everything. How many of you know that's called the grace of God? I stood there and I thought, well, God, if you forgive all of my sins, could I possibly walk into the light and see you face to face? Could I see you, know you, put a name to God? I felt this amazing sense of love reach out to me, so I began to step into this cloud. As I did, my entire person disappeared into it. Inside were, was like veils of suspended, like beautiful stars, amazing sensation of healing love. I could feel my broken heart being healed and my desire to know love, I'd given my heart to people. You ever done that? Ever had someone wreck your heart? Just trash it, man. Well, I had lived in a facade. I'd lived with not being open in this area. But here before God, everything, the most intimate part of who I was, was being touched by the love of God. The walls of my heart were being melted by love. I was being healed in the core of my being, in my heart of hearts. As I walked closer in, I saw the light was getting more intense, brighter. Suddenly the veils began to part. Radiance beamed out, standing in the midst of the light. I could see his arms outstretched. His face. Only God. I could see Jesus standing. But see, as an Anglican, I'd only seen Jesus in an icon with an insipid-looking white glow coming off his face. Sometimes a halo around his head. Occasionally you'd see in the stained glass windows light penetrating through it, giving some sense of an aura or a radiance. I'm standing here with a person whose face is the source of all the light in the entire universe. Out of his face has come in eternity. It's those star systems, constellations, in fact, as you looked into his face, it was like looking into eternity. Can you understand that kind of concept? It didn't hurt my eyes. Amazing white light piercing from his face. Here is brilliant white, robes, dazzling garments of light, bare feet. But his arms were outstretched towards me. I 
foot wide. Would Almighty God do this? I began walking closer. I walked towards his presence. Radiant came off his face. Purity emanated into my being. I suddenly sensed the purity and innocence of childhood restored back into my heart. How many would like to be pure again? Absolutely pure. Well, I I tried to live a pure life and failed. Anyone else out there failed? I mean, my God, purity entered me. I thought he has imparted purity into my spirit. I moved closer as I got right up next to him. Holiness. Unbelievable. Beauty of holiness. It is something I'd heard my grandmother sing in Waihi Beach in the choir. Holy, holy, holy. I had no concept of what the holiness of God was until I felt it flood me. As I stood right next to Jesus, I tried to put my face into, his, into the light that emanated from his. How many know if you love someone you want to see their eyes? Your eyes are eyes of the windows of our soul. You can tell a lot about people if you look in their eyes. You often see desperation, fear, confusion, hurt, pain, darkness. But as I began to put my face into the light, he wouldn't permit me to see his eyes. I said, why? I did not know that no man looks upon the face of Almighty God and lives. You ever read that one somewhere? So I could see the form and glory and radiance of the King of glory. But as I stood there, Jesus began to move. I watched him move with all the radiance of the Holy Spirit that was glorifying him. As he moved behind him was an opening the same diameter as the tunnel I had come down. It's as though a door into eternity had just opened, as if he was the door. He was the door of life. He was the light. As he moved behind him, I could see opening up before me an entire new earth, untouched paradise, like a garden of Eden, fields and flowers and absolute beauty. Not dissimilar to New Zealand in many ways, but as I stood there, I realized that New Zealand was in a fallen place comparison to this incredible, untouched earth. As I'm standing, I can see mountains, blue sky, the light and radiance that's upon Jesus is emanating across the entire creation. Everything about it is life. I knew if a big Frisian heifer was to jump on that bit of grass, it would spring back to life. I'm thinking, I'm home. Why wasn't I born here in the first place? Why was I born in this miserable, apocalyptic, you know what I mean, earth? Why wasn't I born here? Do you know why? Because you have to be born again of the Spirit of God to enter the kingdom of heaven. As I'm standing there, I'm drinking this in, and the presence of Jesus comes right back. All his radiance and glory. As he stands in front of me, he said, Ian, now that you've seen, do you wish to remain here or do you wish to return? What would you do? Wellington or a new earth with a new heaven? No more sickness, no more suffering. The river of life that you could drink from, eternal life. I thought, well, I have no desire to go back. I'm not a masochist. Why on earth would I want to do that? I want to remain here. He didn't move. I thought he needs more convincing. I said, well, I've, I've got, I'm not married. I have no children or none that I know of. I have nothing to go back for. He still didn't move. I said, well, I have no debt, no mortgage. I don't owe anyone anything. I'm broke. <laughs> I was a student. How many broke students do you have? This nation's gone down the gurgler, hasn't it? I stood there. 
And I thought to myself, God, I've never met anyone who's loved and accepted me as you have. Your love has melted my heart. Your presence has healed me. I do not want to go back to that. I don't want to go back. Do you realize that no one wants to go back? If you've lost loved ones or friends and they have made it into the presence of God, none of them want to return. No one. This world seemed to be dissipating as if it was a bad dream. The reality of this was such that as though you had been born for the first time in the entire universe. Life had begun as it was meant to have in the beginning. And as I stood there, God didn't move. I thought, well, I must say goodbye, cruel world, for one last time. I looked behind me to say goodbye. And directly behind me, God showed me a vision of my mother. My mother is still alive, even today. As I saw her, I realized I just told God that no one loved me. I thought, that is completely wrong. My mother not only loves me, but has prayed for me every day. Has tried to show me that this is the true way. But in my arrogance, I've mocked her out. But everything she said is true. There is a heaven, there is a hell, there is a living saviour. I stood there and I thought, if I am dead and I step through into eternity, would my mother have any concept that her doped out heathenistic son gave his life to Jesus in an ambulance, repented of his sins, forgave others, surrendered his life to the Lordship of Christ and was, by the grace of God, taken up into heaven. I thought, there's no way my mother would conceive that. She knows me. How many mothers know their children? And how many know their friends that they associate with? You know what I mean? My mother should have levelled the shotgun out of the window years ago. But she was a very forgiving lady. So I looked at her and I thought, well, if I am dead, how selfish would that be for me to step into eternity and to my mother think I went to hell? It would destroy her. I'm my eldest son. She loves me and I deeply love her. How could I do that? I thought, that would be so wrong. I've lived such a selfish life. I thought, well, what I could do, I could go back, find out where this place is and come back again. I'm sure if God has allowed me here once, he'll allow me back here a second time. How many know you would not, would not want to stuff that one up? You know what I mean? <laughs> if you snuck in there by the skin of your teeth, you certainly wouldn't want to rip, rip it out. You know? And so I thought to myself, well, God, is that okay that I could come back? It's just checking. You know? <laughs> I know I can go back. And with any of you believe me or not, I have a total assurance in my spirit that the love of God and the forgiveness of God has touched me so deeply that as my life is surrendered to Jesus, that his resurrection power that rose him from the dead would take my human spirit back directly into his presence. So I stood there and I said, okay, if I return, what must I do? He said, Ian, if you return, you must see in a new light. You must see through my eyes of eternity, from a heavenly perspective, through the eyes of me. You know what I mean? How, how imagine if you've got Jesus in you, you're going to see differently. You're going to live differently. You're going to walk out your life as a son of God. As I stood there, I said, well, God, okay. And I looked back towards my mum. Next to my mum was my dad, vision of my brother, my sister, friends I surf with, hundreds of thousands of other people. As I saw them, they seemed to go in a V behind my family. Uh, the, a sea of humanity, faces I couldn't recognise. I thought, why are you showing me all these other people? He said, son, I want you to return and tell these people what you've seen also. I said, but I don't know them. I don't love them. He said, son, most of these people will never step foot inside a church. I love them. I desire all of them to come to know me. I thought, well, I only love my own. How many have got to that point? You know, it's hard enough to do that sometimes, especially at Christmas. But I'm looking and I'm thinking, 
I don't know these people. What kind of love is that? That you'd love all these people. What kind? I don't know anything about love. I don't know anything about anything. I stood there. I said, well, God, I don't know about all these other people, but I do know that I love my mother. I wish to return. How do I go back down a tunnel into darkness, back into my body? I don't even know how I came here. He said, Ian, tilt your head. Feel the liquid drain from your eye. Now open your eye and see. I was instantly back in my physical body, lying on a slab in what appeared to be a morgue, with my right eye opened, with a young Indian doctor holding my foot. He had a scalpel in his hand and he was pricking the base of my foot like a dead piece of meat. When I saw him, four doctors saw me look at him and his face went as white as a ghost. He screamed but no voice came out of his mouth and he freaked. How many would have to have a corpse turn around and look at you? <laughs> Head roll over and kind of open his eye and check you. You know what I mean? Oh, this man thinks I'm dead. I'm not dead. What's he doing with my foot? What's going on? And then I'm lying there trying to react. Did I just see God? Did I just, was that all real? Now, how many know it would been a lot easier if I'd floated down out of the heavens, you know, down through the clouds, you know, slip back into my body? Well, I know people have had that, but I didn't. God spoke and the world's came into existence. God spoke to Lazarus who'd been here for four days. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And a man who'd been dead for four days came to life. Isn't it amazing that God has power over death? He himself, who had died, has the power over death. He holds the keys of death and Hades. I lay there. I said, God, because I heard him speak to me, he said, son, I have just given your life back. I thought, if that's true, can you please help me tilt my head to the left and look out the other eye? I'm getting sick of looking at this doctor. <laughs> I tilted my head to the left, opened it, and here in the doorway were nurses looking at me, orderlies who'd been injecting me. As I looked at them, these poor, one poor nurse jumped back in fright, hit the other nurse in the chin, who was looking over her shoulder, knocked her to the ground. That's bizarre. Where's the man with the, on the heart, you know what I mean? I turned, I could see no one. I thought, That's, you cannot bring a man back to life by looking through a doorway or holding on to a man's right foot. Have I just seen God? What on earth happens? The doctor drops my foot, walks around and tells me that for over 15 minutes I have been completely dead. That they have done nothing in this hospital to bring me back to life. I should not be alive. Do I tell this man that I've just been to hell, heaven, seen the new earth, seen Jesus, and he's just given my life back? I thought this man will have me in a psych ward. <laughs> I thought, well, if I've been dead that long, I will never walk again. I'll be a vegetable. My entire neurological system and neurons will have shut down. I lay there and said, well, God, I don't want to be a vegetable. Could you please do another miracle and heal me? If these men didn't bring me back and you did, could you heal my body so I might walk out of this hospital, live a normal life and surf again? If not, I'd rather be dead and live on a machine. You know what I mean? I'd rather go back to heaven than live on a machine. Please either heal me or take me back into heaven. As I lay there, this power went through me like electricity and within three or four hours I was completely healed. I was terrified to close my eyes because last time I did, I disappeared off into a bottomless pit. So I tried one eye at a time. <laughs> I tried both. Oh, they didn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? And I shut them. I woke up. I thought I'm still there because it's a terrifying thing. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to go into this realm. And I don't care how courageous or, or staunch you might think you are. You have no comprehension. Don't tell people to go to hell because if you don't believe in it, don't say it. Because it's a real place. Don't curse people. Bless the man. 
I lay there and power came through me. I was healed. I walked out of the hospital the next day completely healed. And it's called the resurrection power of Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. I said, God, what's happened to me? He said, you are a reborn Christian. No one told me that. God told me that. So I know what I am because God told me. I said, what must I do? Because I didn't trust people. How many don't trust people? Okay. And I said, what must I do next? He said, read a Bible. I said, what? I said, next you'll be asking me to go to church. <laughs> I'm praying. <laughs> I said, I don't have a Bible. He said, your father has got one. Ask him for one. And back in New Zealand, I asked my dad for a Bible. Within six weeks, I read from Genesis to Revelation. So my university degree had some use after all. As I read the entire Bible, I was astounded by the reality of the revelation of the kingdom of darkness and light. As I stood there reading this, I wept. I wept. In Genesis 1, God said, darkness cover the earth, but God said, let there be light. I said, I've seen the light. And the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And I thought, then he created the sun and the moon and the stars. So he actually separated evil from good in the midst of the creation. I said, well, God, who is that light? He said, that light was Jesus Christ, my son, in his glorified form. I said, where is that in the Bible? He said, Revelations chapter 1, verse 13 to 18. In the midst of the lampstand stood the Son of God. He had white robes reaching his feet. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His face shone like the sun. He said, do not be afraid, I was dead. But behold, I'm alive forevermore. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. I hold the keys of death and Hades. I said, what saved me? He said, the Lord's Prayer. I said, what? He said, when you prayed that from your heart for the first time in the ambulance, you were born again of the Spirit of Almighty God. I said, where is that mentioned? He said, John chapter 3, verse 3. If you wish to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. I said, what about the water they sprinkled upon me as a baby and told me that I was a Christian? He said, son, sprinkling water upon a child's head does not change a child's heart. I said, but I was confirmed until communion. He said, Ian, you are confirmed into the church, but you must be confirmed into my son, Jesus. He said, religion tries to help me, but the only person that can save your soul is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the scriptures say, repent, be baptized, be full of the Holy Spirit. I said, why do I have to forgive the Chinese and Indian man? He said, son, if you don't forgive others, you would not have been forgiven. I said, thy will, lordship. He said, Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I said, I went into darkness. He said, Acts 26 verse 18. There is a kingdom of darkness in the spirit realm ruled by Satan. And there's a kingdom of light ruled by Jesus. I said, what about this fire? He said, Ian, that fire has got nothing to do with Satan. That lake of fire is created by Almighty God. This is where Hades, hell, goes into. It's called the second death. He said, but no one's gone into the lake of fire, which God has created. Until Christ returns, no one's gone in there. They're held in darkness until the day of judgment. He said, read the word fire in the Bible and you'll find it's got all to do with God. God is an all-consuming fire. He led the children by a pillar of fire. Understand that? He called fire out of heaven. 
in the Old Testament, they walked into the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Tongues of fire appeared on the day of Pentecost, and God said, I am the fire, the king of glory. He's surrounded by a radiance and a light, which is like an all-consuming fire. Lucifer hates it. This place is darkness. I said, light shone. He said, Luke 1, 79, light shines from heaven upon those in darkness and the shadow of death. And God said, feed into the path of peace and righteousness. I said, a tunnel. He said, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, narrow is the way that leads to the kingdom of God, few find it. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many find the highway to hell, but there is a narrow way of holiness that leads into the presence of Almighty God. I said, people say there are many ways to you. What do you say? He said, Ian, my son taught in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Heavenly Father but by me. I said, I felt love and peace and joy. He said, the fruit of my Holy Spirit is love, peace, and joy. I said, the radiance, he said, the glory of God surrounds my son Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies my son. I said, I walked into this light. He said, the veil has been torn of the Holy of Holies. We have access to see the King of glory be transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit. I said, I couldn't see his face. He said, son, when you, if you'd stepped through into eternity that night, I would have revealed my unveiled face. Revelations 22.5, we will see him face to face. I said, I saw a new planet. He said, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 18, a new earth and a new heaven. This earth and heaven will pass away. Your body will pass away, but there is a new earth and a new heaven. How many are very happy about that? said, so I go and prepare a place for you. There's a place in eternity. You realise quantum physics has only just discovered that there is parallel universe right there? It's the kingdom of heaven. I said, God, I came back. He said, son, I have resurrection power to speak that which is dead back to life. I said, what must I do? He said, son, life is very short. And I desire all people to come to know. He said, son, share your heart and let my spirit work upon them because it's the love of God that brings people and the mercy and grace of God that brings people to repentance. How many people have sinned? Do you realise that Jesus said, I am the saviour of the world? And John the Baptist, the prophet, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How would you like to have all your sins forgiven today? Every single one. That's what rebirth is. Now, a bunch of the other religions say rebirth happens when you die. Have you ever heard of that one? Jesus said, no, death comes judgment. You must be born again before you die. The other teachings say rebirth comes when you die. You live, die, and based upon your karmic cycle, you have a rebirth and then come back as a reincarnated being. You ever heard that one? I had enough bad karma to come back as a flea. Thank God it's got nothing to do with karma cycles or life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, infinitum until maybe you get the thing right. Jesus said, no, it's appointed for man to die and then comes judgment. He said, the rebirth is a lie straight from the pit of hell in the, in, after death. This reincarnation is a lie. Do you realise that every person that died, that I know thousands of them, have come back to life, came back into their own body? Didn't come back as another form, they came back into their own body. Truth will set you free. 